Genesis chapter 39. We began last week a short series on the life of Joseph, or actually just a few select scenes in the life of Joseph. Uh, And the theme of this study is stewardship. Now, what is stewardship? Stewardship is when you've been entrusted with something to take care of it. You're then a steward of that object or those finances or whatever it might be. The Word of God says uh, in Paul's uh, epistle, the First Corinthians, it says, Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. We're stewards of the mysteries of God, is what Paul said. And so you and I, we most definitely, if we've been born again, then we're stewards. We have a responsibility. But when we think about stewardship, we often think about things like finances, uh, maybe a job that we've got or uh, some money that the Lord's blessed us with or something in that respect. But what we find in the life of Joseph is a man that was a steward of his circumstances. You know, uh, most of us, if our circumstances are less than ideal, we'd do something about it if we could. Uh, But most of the time we can't, which means this, that our circumstances have been entrusted to us. And God has given us some things and some situations where it is our responsibility and our privilege and our opportunity to do with those things and do with those circumstances what would bring God the most glory. And so we're going to look at three things in the life of Joseph. Last week we looked at Joseph in Potiphar's house and we saw stewardship in servitude. But tonight I want us to begin reading at verse number 20 of chapter 39. We're going to see Joseph tonight in the prison. Uh, Very likely, Joseph, of the two places between uh, Potiphar's house and the prison, he probably spent more time in the prison, though less is said about it. It's hard for us really to fathom some of the details that are not just written in the Word of God, but written into the Word of God when you begin to compare uh, spiritual things with spiritual and begin to look and study the Word of God, some of the things that we learn. But we're going to see tonight that this trip into prison was no short stay for Joseph. We know that he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. We know that when he stands before Pharaoh in chapter number 41, that he's 30 years old. So we don't know exactly how much time he spent in Potiphar's house and how much time he spent in the prison, but I think we have some scriptural reason to believe that he spent a lot of years in prison. We're going to look at that tonight for just a few moments. Let's begin reading at verse number 20. The Word of God says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, in one night, 
each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them, tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the cross of Calvary and for the precious Holy Spirit. I pray that You would speak to our hearts through Your Word tonight. Lord, that You gain glory out of what You accomplish in us. Help us to yield to You. Help us to look unto You. And we'll be sure to thank You for it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We find a few interesting qualities about the narrative that we've read here. You'll remember, if you were here last Sunday night, that we picked up reading where we left off last week. I believe it's important to see the situation of Joseph as one running, continuing narrative. Because God doesn't stop telling the story about Joseph, and we shouldn't stop telling the story about Joseph, at least not too soon. You know what worry is? Worry is when we've quit telling the story before God's quit telling the story. If we were to stop earlier in the life of Joseph, we'd find a man who at any given time was a slave or a prisoner. But only if you continue on through the life of Joseph do you see him exalted in Egypt. I feel like a lot of times that's what we're doing when we're worrying. We're trying to stop the narrative in our present circumstance instead of trusting God with the future, whatever it may be. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, he's sort of, if we could use some terminology here that I think we're familiar with, he's gone out of the frying pan and into the fire. 
He went from being a slave in Potiphar's house, but a place where God had prospered him. God had made a way for him to be exalted and for him to have a relative life of comfort and of ease till now through the circumstances concerning Potiphar's wife, through the false accusations that she has made, he has been cast into the king's prison. And here he waits. There is some debate. I don't know that anybody can name exactly how long that Joseph spent in prison. But you see, when you read in these passages between uh, verse number 20 and verse number 21, uh, we assume that there is a large, vast amount of time that is skipped over. Look at them again with me. Verse 20 says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Now, we could pause there and insert a period of anywhere uh, from a, a year up to probably about 10, maybe 12 years. Between there and the next phrase when the Bible says, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. We do not know how much time he spent, but Psalms 105 says this about his stay in prison. Speaking of the Lord, it says, He sent a man before them, even Joseph who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, speaking of the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord tried him. Joseph is a man that has spent a considerable amount of time in prison in the narrative before us. Long enough that it would have permanently hurt him, for such the language indicates to us. They hurt his legs, his feet, with fetters, and he was laid in iron. You see, even in the Word of God, we really only get in this passage uh, that which brings glory to God. We don't even really see him laid up in fetters and irons. Elsewhere, the Bible denotes it to us. But God, in His mercy and in His sovereign purpose, seems to even pass over that period of time. But we're told some important things about Joseph's condition before we ever get there. I want you to look with me, and I want you to notice three things that we see about Joseph that I think are important for us to know. You know, we're all going to go through times of suffering. It doesn't matter who you are. If you live in this world, you're going to have rough times, difficult times, times of suffering, times of affliction, maybe times of poverty or times of illness. We need to understand that those periods in our life that God gives to us that where the Word of the Lord is trying us, as it does Joseph, are times of stewardship, just as the grand and glorious times are. We think of stewardship as in God blessed me with a lot of money, so I need to do the right thing with it. But I think sometimes that's a real shallow notion of it. I think stewardship runs deeper than that. Sometimes the things you don't want are the things God entrusts you with. Sometimes the things that, like Paul, the things that you pray for God to take away are the very things He gave you to entrust you with to do something with. You remember He said about the thorn in the flesh, He prayed thrice that the Lord would take it from Him, and it didn't. God was entrusting Paul with something. So I want you to notice first off tonight, and we're going to try to be quick as we can, notice His companion in prison. Look again at verse number 21. The Bible says, but... Now, all of these terrible circumstances... Things really couldn't get much worse. I mean, there was only one stop from the prison house, and and the chief baker experienced it. There's only really one place to go from there, and it was to the hangman's news. And so Joseph is at the bottom of the barrel. He's hit rock bottom. He's in the worst circumstances that anybody could imagine. 
no doubt he's in a worse situation than anybody in this room has ever experienced. For he's not only in prison, but he's there falsely accused, and he's an innocent man. And here in prison, the Bible uses the word but. All of these things were going wrong. Everything looked to be bad upon the outside. Certainly, he would have said with his daddy, if his daddy had been there at the time, he would have said, all these things are against me, but the Lord was with Joseph. So even when everything else was wrong, the Lord's presence was still there. I'm thankful for the promise. And I, and I understand that maybe some of these things were touched. Like I said, we're picking up where we left off last week. So we may touch on a few things that we touched on last week. But let me say it's good to know that even when we're at rock bottom, the Lord's there with us. You know what the Bible says about the presence of the Lord? The psalmist put it this way, beautifully put it this way. He said uh, that if I ascend up, if I take the wings of the morning and ascend up into the heavens, behold, thou art there. He said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He said, whither shall I flee from thy presence, from thy spirit? See, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how bad your circumstances are, God's still present with you in the midst of those things. One of the first things we always begin to think when we get into a rough situation is, where's God at? The truth of the matter is, God's where He's always been. Don't think for one moment that God isn't God of circumstances too. He doesn't get scared and run away when things get tough. He's the one that called. Uh, we, did a, we preached one time a sermon on the storm and the hand in the midst of the storm. And you know what we found as we studied that? That the hand of God not only calms the storm, did you know it calls for the storm? He's the God of creation. He's in control of everything that takes place. And in the very same way in the life of Joseph, though it is odd to us, though it is unnatural to read such a statement, it is not unscriptural to read it because the Bible promised that God would never leave us nor forsake us. And sure as anything, His presence was there before and His presence is there afterwards. But then we're faced with a question. We see not only His presence, and this is going to be a strange word to use, as an attribute of God, but we see His permissiveness. Now, we don't think of God as being permissive, and He's not permissive about a lot of things. And when it comes to sin and unrighteousness, God's not permissive about it. And I don't mean to imply that. But here's the question. If God's there, why isn't God doing something about it? That's the question we have, isn't it? Surely that would have crossed Joseph's mind. I know, and me and Brother Charlie talk about it occasionally, uh, about Joseph and Daniel. For some, uh, for some reason, you'll hear people make the statement that, that Joseph and Daniel, nothing negative is recorded about them in Scripture. I guess that depends on how you look at, at that term negative. But uh, certainly, uh, Joseph was a man. He was flesh and bone. He had weaknesses like you do and like I do. And surely it must have run across his mind once, maybe twice, that if God's with me, then why is God allowing this? Why is God allowing this? Let me say that's a natural position for a finite human to take. But let me say that it's a dangerous position sometimes for us to take too. I believe God understands and even expects us to ask why. But we better always make sure that our whys are in subjection to His will. We better make sure that inasmuch as we ask God why, it's never that we might go our own way and do our own thing. Of course, Joseph was in a situation he couldn't. And yet we find that there are some things that Joseph could have done. We'll look at them here in a moment. You know, let me say this, that we can't do anything about our circumstances, but we can do a lot about ourselves in the midst of the circumstance. 
You see, being a good steward of your circumstances is not about changing your circumstances, it's about changing yourself in the midst of them, and glorifying God with your life and heart in the midst of them. So we see the permissiveness of his companion. But then I want you to notice his providence, because the Bible says that he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now let me say this, that if, if a man was to set out to be in politics... If a man was to set out to succeed in the political sphere, and he was to begin as late in life as 17 years old. And by the way, that is pretty late in life. If you were to really know the truth, a lot of these politicians have been groomed from when they were even young. Start out as late as 17 in life. I'd say it'd be a pretty short route if he made it to second in the kingdom by the time he was 30. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think so? And yet we find that this is the route that God had Joseph take. It's a route that was impossible. Do you know there was no other way Joseph could have wound up second in the kingdom other than through this path? If there was another way, God would have chosen another way. But there was no other way. Here is a man that has no uh, natural or blood right to be the second in command. Here is a man that should have to to murder and rob and steal and step on and cheat to make his way to that place of authority. And yet God had a path that led him through the pit, through Potiphar's house, through the prison, all the way to the palace. You say, why would God, if God's there, why does He allow the things in my life that take place? He allows the things that take place in your life because He already knows how your life's going to end. He already knows how it's going to wind up. The great fearful thing in our life is the unknown, the wondering, the curiosity about it. As finite beings, we don't know how things are going to turn out, but God knows how it's going to turn out. You see, in God's mind, He didn't really pay that much attention uh, to Joseph in the prison. In fact, the, the, the bulk of the time that he was in prison is skipped over in the middle of one verse. God didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but He spends about four or five chapters dealing with him when he's in the palace. Because God was moving towards an expected end. So we see his providence. But then I want you to notice not only his companion in suffering, but notice his commission in suffering. Now again, paint the picture in your mind, if you will. This is a man that is laid in shackles we do not know for how many years. An innocent man that is set there in solitude and silence, musing and dealing with his relationship with God. Those circumstances would turn the best of us bitter. But we find that when given an opportunity, we learn three things about him. Look at verse number 22. Look at the beginning. The Bible says, And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. You know what that tells me? First off, he was willing to accept this commission. I don't know about you, and I understand that prison nowadays is a lot different than it was back then. I'm aware of that. I'm aware it wasn't air conditioning and cable TV back then. But no doubt he could have been like many and said this, I'll not help. I'll not, so I'm not even supposed to be here. I just want to sit in my cell and wait to die. There's no reason for me to help you. And yet he was willing to walk through the door that God opened for him. You know, one of the great things, one of the great tragedies of our, of our difficult circumstances is that they paralyze us. 
when they ought to motivate us. They cause us to imagine God's hand will not be there rather than causing us to look for God's hand everywhere we turn. And I've seen it a hundred times if I've seen it once. People that get in tough times and they just quit on God. They quit going to church. They quit reading the Bible. They quit praying. They quit bringing their family to church because they've come to a difficult time. That's the worst possible thing that you can do. That's the worst possible thing. Let me tell you something. When difficult times come, you need church, Bible reading, prayer, having your family in church. You need the things of God more then than you ever have in your life. So don't give up on God. We see that He was willing. But then look at the next phrase. We see that He was working. The Bible says, whatsoever they did there, He was the doer of it. Whatsoever. He was diligent. He was busy. I understand that there can be a danger in substituting things emotionally. But let me say that it makes our difficult circumstances all the worse when we grow idle and dormant in the midst of them. I, I, I tell you what it, it reminds me of. You, you're, I know you used to watch Looney Tunes because we're spiritual around here. And you remember Wiley Coyote. He'd go off the cliff and he was all right as long as he kept running and didn't look down. I understand we need to have more substantial and solid footing than Wiley Coyote. But let me just say that sometimes through these difficult times, if you can just keep running and just keep going, it'll do a lot to keep you serving the Lord. He was working. He was busy. He didn't allow his circumstances to paralyze him. But then look at verse number 23. The Bible says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Look at verse 21, it says, or verse number 1 of chapter 40, it says, And it came to pass after these things. There again, we do not know how long a period of time it was, but we do understand that probably... Joseph did not win that the keeper of the prison's confidence overnight. Probably for many years, this keeper of the prison had been watching Joseph. And then he begins to give him opportunities and begins to give him responsibilities. We do not know how long it took, but let me say that we see that Joseph was willing and working, but then we see he was waiting. He was waiting. How do we define patience? I think oftentimes we define patience simply as waiting. And yet oftentimes we're in circumstances that we cannot help but wait. Patience is not just waiting. You can't help but wait in some circumstances. I mean, if that's the case, I'm very patient about being a, a, a multimillionaire. I mean, I rarely think about it. That's the very pinnacle of patience, right? No. Uh, there's nothing I could do to accomplish that. It's not patience. Patience is doing the right thing when you can't do what you want to do. It's doing the right thing when you can't do what you want to be doing. We see, we do not know how much time passed, but we understand this, that Joseph was involved in this commission. He was given a responsibility. And however long that it came to pass after these things, however long after these things was, he was still diligently and faithfully serving. You see, Joseph did everything he could do and then trusted God to do what only God could do. Did everything he could. We don't find him laying around a jail cell and saying, Oh, poor pitiful me. 
We don't find Him sitting around and shaking His fist at God. And God, how could you allow this to happen? No, we find Him doing everything He can and then waiting on God's timing. We have a God with a plan. You understand that? We have a God with a plan. It's amazing how often we just imagine God has no plan for things. We know it academically, but then oftentimes we don't seek His plan. We don't wait on His timing. Uh, any, any good plan relies on timing. You can do the right thing at the wrong time and make a mess of things. What was it that one fellow said that, that treason's just a matter of dates? I know that you've heard that before. Timing is the key to everything. And so he was waiting on God's timing. We see his commission. Then I want you to notice this, and I'm just going to touch on it and close. We see his commitment in suffering. We see that he was willing, working, and waiting. We see the external. But what was going on on the inside of Joseph during this time? Again, it's hard for us to fathom the, the, the thunderstorm of emotions that must have been taking place inside of him. But we find that three things express themselves. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 40. The Bible says, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? I want you to notice first off his diligence to look for any opportunity to make an impact for the Lord. I, I know how I would have been. And, and I don't know, you know, I say that a lot, but it's because I don't know how you would have been. Amen? You're a lot worse than me, so I don't know what you would have done, but I know what I would have done. I know how I would have been. I would have probably walked in and looked at two men that very likely either one or both of them are going to leave this prison because of their estate and because of their prominence. And thought to myself, what do you have to complain about? I would have looked at two men that had lived a, a life of relative ease and comfort and luxury when I had been sold into slavery as a 17-year-old boy. Here he is. He's, he, he is 28 years old at this time, and we do know that because uh, he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, and this is two years prior to that. He's a 28-year-old man. The, the seeming best years of his life have been wasted away in a prison that he did not deserve to be in. I would have been like most people, I think. I would have looked at him and said, I don't care how you feel today. And yet, when given an opportunity... He was compassionate to the needs of others. And he saw him and he said, why do you look so sad today? Joseph didn't know how that conversation was going to end. He didn't know that those men had had dreams. He didn't know what was going to take place. Joseph was merely determining in the midst of his darkness to shine. And in the midst of that desert to bloom. And he decided he was going to make an impact best as he could for God's glory. You know, God can still use you in the midst of suffering. Sometimes that's the best time that God can use you, is in the midst of suffering. I would say that Joseph would have never ran across these men. In fact, I can say it unequivocally that Joseph would have never ran across these men had the circumstances not been such. But in the midst of this time frame, 11 years after he's been sold into slavery, and he's still sensitive to do something for God every opportunity that he gets. We see his diligence. But then I want you to notice a second thing. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream. 
and there is no interpreter of it. Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. You know, Joseph lived in a time when the Spirit of God did not indwell men. Isn't that true? My doctrine right there? Joseph lived in a time when the Spirit of God did not indwell men. And so in some ways, the relationship that a man had with God at that time was much more a matter of faith than it is now. I know about my relation. I know that I'm saved. I know, I know it because of a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I know it is when I sin and when I do wrong, the Spirit of God convicts me. That time, that was not necessarily so. But the Word of God was their measure and judge for these matters. And so after 11 years in prison... We understand two things that Joseph knew. One, he knew that God was still there. And two, he knew that God cared about him. We see his devotion. I would have probably said, God doesn't care about me. Most people would say that, don't you think? God doesn't care about me. If God cared about me, he wouldn't let me rot in this prison. If God cared about me, he wouldn't have left me here. But when proposed with a question about God, Joseph says, oh yeah, oh yeah, interpretations belong to God. You tell me what the dream is, I'll go talk to God about it. I'm still on speaking terms with the Almighty. Still on speaking terms with the Almighty. In the midst of all the suffering, 11 years since I left my home, I'm still, and there's not been a good day since just about, but I'm still in regular communication with an Almighty God. We see his devotion. He still loved the Lord. He knew the Lord still loved him. Then I want you to notice his desire. Look down at verse number 14. We know the narrative. They tell him the dream. The butler uh, tells him the dream uh, about the the branches, and and, uh, he gets a good answer. And uh, I've always, it's awful to say, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been that comical if you was there, but I've I've always imagined how funny it'd be uh, to be standing there with those two men. And the butler says, well, this is my story, and there's three branches, and there's grapes, and and squeeze the grapes in Pharaoh's cup and everything. Joseph says, in three days you're going to be restored. The baker says, do mine, do mine, you know. And he says, three days you're going to be dead. (laughs) I'm sure he hated that he asked, amen. But the truth that we find in here is not about vineyards and and vines and grapes and baked meats. But we find this truth. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says Joseph is speaking to the butler. It says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness. I pray thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh. Bring me out of this house." For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. We see his desire. Now this is important to understand because we're, we're real people. You understand that? I mean, we're not made of plastic, we're not made of stone, we're not made of granite or marble. We're real people, and Joseph was a real person. And he had a desire like anybody had a desire in that situation. He wanted to be out of prison. He wanted his circumstances changed. You know, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to want your circumstances to be different. Hey, if you're sick, it's not wrong to want to be better. If you're poor, it's not wrong to want to have a little bit of financial comfort. If you're, if, if, 
if you deal with, with emotional battles or, or, or mental battles and, and you want victory from that, that's not wrong. It's not a sin to want those things. Joseph wanted those things. He wanted to be out of prison. He wanted to be restored. He wanted to be set at liberty. I, I kind of think that what Joseph had in mind at this time, and, and I might be wrong, but I, I think what he had in mind at that time is he wanted to go home and see his daddy. He says, I'm in Hebrew and I was stolen away out of my land. The reason that he's saying it that way, and that's true, that's true, but in all honesty, though he was stolen away out of his land, he was stolen away by his brethren, and he was sold into slavery. And so he, uh, I mean, this is a guy that has papers on. This this is a guy that, that all the paperwork is in order. He's a slave. He belongs in Egypt. But when he's talking to the butler, he says, I I was a Hebrew. I was stolen away out of my land. I think he was priming the pump to be sent back. That was his desire. That was his desire. And that's not wrong to have desires. But we find out it didn't happen that way. The Bible says in verse number 23, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Boy, it's discouraging, isn't it? It's discouraging, especially when you consider that the first verse in chapter 41 is this, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years is when the story picks back up. Two full years. We see this, that Joseph had a desire for circumstances to change, but God had a will and a grand plan and purpose that if Joseph could have seen, he would have desired. You know, I, I believe with my whole heart that, that if we could know the will of God, we'd want the will of God. If we could see it the way God sees it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Probably if I knew how every day was going to end between now and when I leave this life, it'd probably scare me to death. But, but if, I could solve the, if, if I could see the finished product of following and obeying the will of God the way that God sees it, I know that I'd desire it. I know that I'd want it. So Joseph has come to a place where faith, must interject and must take over. Because he, he wants something and God says no. God says no. If Joseph prayed about dreams, I'm sure he prayed about his desires. If he asked God for an interpretation, I'm sure that he asked God for freedom. God said no, Joseph, no. What are you going to do when God says no? It's tough, isn't it? Don't None of us like that. I don't like it when God says no. But here's the question that faith must ask. Could God really have something better? Is God capable? Is God capable of really having something better? We've been on this, you know, on a house hunt. Let me tell you something. If there's anything that will make you, I mean, get in a fist fight with your spouse, lose all your hair, ulcers that eat straight through your back, lose your mind, it's looking for a house. We fell in love and lost a hundred thousand of them. You almost get sick of looking because you don't want the disappointment. But we come to a place where we must say this, God has something planned, something purposed. And God has what's best. And anything that God says no to, it's because it's less than his best and he's got something better. We may not see the best that God has for us in this life. It may wait till the next life. But for most of us, in most situations and circumstances, if we just yield to God, we'd be better for it.
I mean temporally speaking. I mean, I mean monetarily and physically speaking. I mean just temporal matters. That which isn't gonna, isn't going to, to fade on eternity. We'd still be the better for it. So Joseph is asked a faith question. Do I believe God has something better? Something better than freedom? Something better than freedom? How about authority? Something better than home? How about a palace? What is it that God has better for him? So tonight, I know we're sort of finishing the story before we get to the end of the story. And I know that, you know, I talked about that a little while ago. Sometimes there's a danger in that. But the truth of the matter is, some of you, your story is not going to change by tomorrow morning or the day after or the day after. Some of you, tomorrow morning, you're not going to be in the palace. You're still going to be in the prison. Or maybe you're still in Potiphar's house. So the question is this. Will you trust God with your time, with your circumstances, with your situation? And how do we trust Him? We don't trust Him by closing our eyes and believing as best as we can and, and trying to fix and focus our mind. How do we believe? How do we trust? We believe and we trust by obeying His Word and resting ourselves in Him. Do we trust God with tomorrow? I hope you do.